calling us as individual Christians who should be belonging to a local church family, what is God calling of us to do and to accomplish? So last week, like I said, we looked at internal. By how we love one another, the world will know that we belong to Jesus. So if you weren't here or, or if you're visiting, I want to challenge you with that as, as we kind of move forward today, is do you love your church family? Do you know your church family? When there's a need in your church family, do you, do you see it not as an obligation to help, but do you see it as an opportunity to lift a brother or a sister up and encourage and help? Do you pray for your church family? See, this is what we're called to do. And so often in, in denominational lines, sometimes get this, well, we don't work with the church down the street because of this or that or the other reason. Well, what if we gathered together and we focused more on what we have in common than what we don't? What if we focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and a world that is in desperate need of him? See, again, living in Banff is awesome because there's there's probably 10 different denominations represented here today. And we don't let those things divide us. What we do is we go, we're together, we worship Christ together, we read scripture together, and and we may have some little differences of opinion on certain things and some different doctrinal things, and that's okay. But we still belong to the same family. We still have the same Lord. We still have the same Father, and he is in heaven calling us to the same mission. So, what is that mission? I think you probably know all this already, but we're going to talk about it anyway when you think about what is the mission of the church what you don't have to say this this is rhetorical but what scripture passages come to mind as you kind of think about the institution of the church and it becoming kind of formed into this into this group of people called to something is where would you go in scripture if somebody came up to you on the on the street and said what does your church exist for what's the purpose would you know how to answer that Well, this morning we're going to first go to Matthew 28, which is the most obvious passage probably on this, but it's also the most relevant passage for this. We refer to this in chapter 28, 16 to 20 as kind of the Great Commission. But let me just give you a real brief context up to this point so that we can see why this matters so much. See, the disciples are working with Jesus and Jesus is doing miracles and and doing incredible things and and teaching them from the Old Testament uh, so that they would understand it correctly and know who this God is and what he's called them to. But they didn't have a full grasp and understanding of exactly what this plan was going to look like. And we're going to talk about this in a moment when we get to the book of Acts, but but their expectation was that at some point that Jesus was just going to break Roman rule he was going to rule and everyone was going to have free, uh, free rights to worship the one true God and everything was going to be kind of like this paradise situation. And Jesus spends some moments kind of telling them, well, that is going to happen. But there's some other things that are going to happen first. And so Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to die on the cross and, and, and you can see some confusion and some hurt. And even Peter at one point, right, goes like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not even going to let that happen. To which Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Is the things that we think are not always the things that God is teaching and showing and and guiding us in. 
And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death on the cross. And he dies and and there's some uncertainty of what do the disciples do now? Well, we have scripture and so we see and we understand that, that Jesus' death on the cross atoned or covered all of our sins so that when God looks at us, if we have submitted our lives to Jesus, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees Christ's righteousness. The, the theological term there is it's imputed to us. It's, it's given on our behalf, not because we could do it, but, be Christ, but because Christ did it for us. But all of a sudden, the disciples are sitting there going, well, n- n- now what? Like, yes, salvation's been purchased with Jesus' blood. This is wonderful, but, but what do we do now? And so Jesus rises from the dead, comes back, and gives them this commission, which is for all of the disciples. So sometimes when you read uh, in Scripture and you read disciples, you tend to only think of the 12, or in this time now as Judas is no longer part of it, uh, the 11. And it does say in verse 16, the 11 disciples. But scholars are in complete agreement here that this is not only 11. Yes, the 11 are highlighted, but there's many of Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus tells them, when I rise, I want you to meet me on this mountain. And so this is where we find ourselves in this this verse. This is 16 of chapter 28. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, before we get to the Great Commission, actually, I want to focus on a verse that often gets ignored. Verse 17 says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but what? Have you ever struggled in your own heart with doubt even though you know you love Jesus? Well, this verse is very clear to us showing that even the disciples, now we don't know which ones, was it some of the 11, was it some further than that, and it doesn't matter. Is The point is that they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead because they were there to see it. They saw him and they worshipped him and, and yet there was some doubt. I think we can all relate to that is we know that God loves us and yet sometimes when certain situations happen a disease comes to our family or to to us individually a child gets in a car accident and dies you know you could fill in the blank with many many situations and we go God I know that you love me but I don't feel that you love me in this moment right now I'm confused and I'm hurt I don't know what to think well, rest assured that here in this moment, the disciples had the same problem. And so when you doubt, that should drive you back further to Scripture to remind you of what is true, not what you feel is true in one given moment. Because our feelings betray us sometimes, and we feel things that aren't always accurate. So they're worshiping and yet doubting. And then Jesus gives them this great commission, this this responsibility 
And what does the first word of verse 19 say? might be second in some of your translations, but what's the, what's the command? Go. Now the church doesn't really exist yet, at least not in what we're going to see in the book of Acts in a, in a few moments. And so I want you to see that this is not given to a, an entity, but it's given to individuals within that entity. Is that you and I, if you have submitted your hearts and lives to Christ, is that you are called to go. Now, where are we to go? Well, I guess for better or worse, the good news is we don't have to go very far to find people who don't know Jesus in our world, do we? You probably don't even have to leave your block where you live. But that doesn't nullify that command to go. It only increases it into saying, go and make disciples. Now, here's the thing is it doesn't say go make converts. There's good news in that because maybe you've experienced this before is you've been ready to share the gospel with someone and and you've given them a really good convincing kind of step-by-step argument of who Jesus is and his death and his resurrection and and they refuse and you go, well, I, I thought they would respond. Well, it's not your job to save them. That alone comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is our job to tell them. And it's our job to make disciples. What a disciple is, is someone who follows Jesus and is maturing in that journey. So no matter where you're at in that journey, you can come alongside someone and disciple them to a deeper level of maturity. What I have learned in this process is as I've entered into intentional disciple relationships with people is more often than not, I'm the one that grows more than they do. Because they challenge me, because they ask hard questions. And I have to go to Scripture to wrestle with those questions. Is this true? Is it, is it right? What about this objection that they have? And it causes me to grow in my faith. And then as we have those conversations, we grow together. Notice also it says you're going to do a couple of things in that. You're going to baptize them. And you're going to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. So if we want to make disciples, then essentially what we need to know is the things that Jesus said. So we've got to study the Word. We've got to look through how did Jesus live and to what did He call them and how did He clarify and, and how did He deal with the, the Pharisees who were believing that they were going to earn their own salvation. Well, Jesus clarifies sometimes harshly with them. And so we too are, are learning and seeing that I can't earn salvation. It's a gift given to me by Jesus on the cross. So that puts me in the same boat as everybody else. I don't have any more deserving heart than they do. And so that causes me to see them the way that God sees them as a, as a, a child who he has created that loves them and wants them to mature and grow no matter how far away I may perceive they are from Christ. So go and make disciples. But notice that also ends with, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us a a mission. But he doesn't just then leave us to accomplish that on our own. We've talked about this in in August when we looked at the the stewardship of our spiritual gifts. Is when we come to Christ, the Bible teaches that we're given the Holy Spirit. And when we're given the Holy Spirit, he equips us for the work of ministry. 
So he equips us uniquely to come together to accomplish the purposes to which he has called us to do. So the good news is that doesn't mean it's dependent on you alone to accomplish something. All you have to do is be available. All you have to do is be willing to go and let God use you in the way in which he's going to. And we talked about this earlier again as well as that Jesus reminds them that, that when you're put in those situations where you don't know what to say or don't know how to share correctly the gospel, is don't worry, the Holy Spirit is with you. He will give you the words to say. And so there's so much good news in this. Is, is God doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes, but he has called us into that, and then he's, he, he is equipping us to accomplish that mission. So if you're a Christian... If you have confessed Christ as your Lord, here's the good news, is you know what your mission is. You know what your purpose is. Now, yes, we all are going to accomplish that in different ways, but we're called to the same mission. Again, it might sound scary. It might sound intimidating. The idea of going up to somebody that, that you know or that you love or maybe that you don't know that's a stranger and sharing them the hope that you have in Christ, it might sound terrifying, but again, you're not alone in that process. So as Jesus rises from the dead, as he commissions his disciples, it moves into the book of Acts. And we see another very kind of maybe obvious verse to use here, but again, no less relevant is Jesus is back and he teaches them over the course of 40 days all these different things and, he, and he's commissioning them out and showing them how they're going to do this. But again, they still don't fully grasp and understand. And so in Acts, they say, okay, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's verse 6. Is, is, are, are you going to come and are you going to reign and free us from Roman tyranny? Jesus basically answers the same way he answers us in prayer sometimes is it's not for you to know those details. In fact, he says this. This is verse 8. While you won't know these things, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, we've been given the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task and not even just here where we live, but it's going to go further and further and further. I was talking to a couple this morning visiting us and, and I said one of the things that's exciting for us is, is most of the people that we minister to here are here less than six months. And so we receive them and then we equip them and we try and teach them the gospel and, and renew a passion within them for Christ and then we commission them off to wherever they're going next is that back home is that to the next country that they're visiting wherever it might be well we get to do exactly what this says here and we're making disciples we're we're helping them to grow and then we're sending them off knowing that it is not up to them it is up to the holy spirit to use them and so that scary feeling of sharing the gospel or that intimidation factor well, it actually should lessen more and more and more because when we go and share the gospel with somebody, is all we're doing is we're being faithful to what God has called us to do and we're leaving the results with him. It's not my responsibility to convince someone that they need Jesus. 
but it is my responsibility to show them who Jesus is. The church in Acts, and, and we're going to study through Acts in 2024, so I don't want to spend too much time in some of these details here, but in chapter 2, we see the church kind of begin to form, and we see the purpose for which it is. And, and I talked about this last week, but I want to mention this again. Is every church, every local church, whatever church you're a part of, there should be an internal and an external working together in harmony. There should be a balance there. And we see that happening here. Uh, if we only focus on what happens internally in our four walls and, and we just work on each other and then we have no desire for going out into the world to declare Christ and make him known, then we're disobeying the very thing that God has called us to do. But if all we do is we go out and share and we're not connected to the local body, encouraging and building one another up so that we can strengthen each other, then we're going to burn out real fast. We're going to get disillusioned really quickly. Because you weren't called to do this on your own. You are called to do it, but you are called to do it in the midst of body. And so we see this present here in Acts 2. This is starting in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, this is the church it's speaking of, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, there's a verse in there that was stuck in my own heart for a long time. And as we gathered together at our church board, this became even more clear to me is there are aspects of how we do this internally so that it goes externally. Now, if you were here last week, there's two things that we're going to begin to do in October. One of them is every first Sunday of the month, we're going to eat together. We're going to have communion together as we normally do, and then we're going to go over here to the next room, and we're going to fellowship and eat and get to know each other and learn about who we are more. Because the more we know about each other, the more we'll learn to love each other. The more we love each other, the more we'll serve each other. The more we serve each other, the more we will get on united in what our purpose is as a church. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to, the third Sunday of every month, we're going to meet upstairs in the library uh, before church from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and we're just going to spend time in prayer together. When you look back at this verses, what do you see? They devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship. Well, those are two things that we do really well already. But we're not going to lessen those. To the breaking of bread and prayers. We're going to eat together, we're going to celebrate together, and we're going to pray together. We're going to do the things that we see the early church doing because what we see the early church doing is ministry and ministry that mattered because look at verse 47 again. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what we want to be as a church. And I hope that your home church, that's what you want to be about. Is I hope that your goal is first that you honor Christ in everything. And second, I hope that we bring so many people into our church that we regularly don't know who's sitting beside us. Because they're new to faith, they're new to the church. 
Now, that might be a very lofty goal, or, or you might say it's even unrealistic, but that's what we see in Scripture is go and preach the gospel, share, make disciples, watch people come into your faith community and build them up so that we can accomplish more together than we can individually. So here's the thing. As you think about you individually and then your local body, your local church, is do you have an emphasis on the internal and do you have an emphasis on the external? Do you come to church regularly because you know that that's good and healthy and important? Do you grow in your faith every day and do you take that growth and want to go and serve others with that? I think in the North American church, especially right now, is we're losing sight on the external. In fact, missions organizations are regularly sending missionaries now into Canada and the United States from other parts of the world when it used to be almost exclusively the other way around. People are seeing a spiritual apathy in North America. And there's something that, that writers are calling cultural Christianity. People that say they're Christians, but they don't know Scripture and they don't know Jesus. But they've grown up with that teaching. But if there's not a passion to love one another, to love Christ and to make Christ known, then we ought to ask the question, is do we really know Christ? Because if I know Christ and if I love Christ, then I see that he has called me to something And it's not like he's asked me. The Great Commission is a command. He said, go and do this. Be part of the global church. And and frankly, if we've experienced salvation and our heart does not hurt for those who don't yet know Christ, then have we even experienced salvation? Now, my goal here is not to confuse you with going, am I a Christian or am I not? It's simple. Have you confessed with your heart and with your mouth? That's what Romans teaches us. You believe that Christ raised from the dead. If we do and we submit to that, then we ought to learn how to understand what his mission is to us, and that is the Great Commission. So we as a church, and, and if you're visiting, think of your, your local church in your context, is what are you as a church doing to reach your community with the gospel of Jesus? What ways are you involved with a ministry to accomplish the Great Commission? And if we can't answer that question, then what we need to do, and this is the point of the survey, is we need to sit down and wrestle with Scripture and say, God, am I being obedient to what you have called me to? Or am I being distracted by the things of the world and have I lost my purpose? All through the book of Acts, what we see, and again, we're going to study this in 2024, is we see churches come together, and we see them put teams together, and we see churches commission out people to go and to spread the gospel. And in fact, almost all of Paul's letters, you see that written, is there a team of people commissioned to go and to proclaim Christ so that churches would be planted and that people would come to faith. But notice how Paul doesn't do this on his own. In fact, that's what the letters are. Is often he writes back to them for encouragement, for support, 
for help because he knows that apart from the local church, he's not going to accomplish much. He needs help in that process. And so sometimes we can look at it from only the entity example and say, well, what is my church doing? But the question is, what are you doing within your church to accomplish that? That's the question we need to be asking. We, we, we shouldn't sit back and go, man, my church has all kinds of outreach ministries and lots of stuff is happening if we're not involved in any of those things. Because then those things will cease to exist at some point. We ought to say, God, how have you gifted me? What is my calling? How have you called me to join this ministry or that ministry to accomplish this purpose so that people would know who Christ is? You know, Romans 10, 14, and 15 have this reminder to us. And Paul's talking about spreading the gospel, but he asks these questions. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Our churches ought to be a place where we come, where we lift Christ up, and we honor him first and foremost. But then as we lift him up and as we honor we recognize that we have a commission to fulfill and to accomplish through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is again why we've done this internal and external survey that I hope that you'll be willing to sit down, take some time and fill out. Some of it might be you have an idea that you want to share. Some of it might be God has convicted you of a way in which you need to be involved where you're not. And our goal is not simply that we have more volunteers at more programs so that we can do more things. Our goal is that we accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us to accomplish. However he's called us to. And if we see 30 people respond in the survey, a new idea of something, we're going to look at that and go, if 30 people are excited about this, we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. But on the same token, if what we see is, man, outreach is unnecessary, And we're going to look back to the gospel and we're going to start to figure out have we, like our culture, atrophied in our spiritual desire? Do we think that we're Christians or are we living a life as Jesus has called us to live? And again, I don't mean that in any condemnation or pointing the finger at anybody, but I mean if we don't evaluate our own hearts regularly, how will we continue to grow? If we get stagnant and we think that things are good right where we are right now, that's often in every area of our life where we stop growing and where we start regressing. We are called as individual Christians to be part of the body of Christ to go out and to reach the world for him. Our men's study, we've been talking about this lots lately. We studied through Romans 13 last week in a bit of a politically charged chapter. And the speaker in it mentioned something to us, and he said this is basically the church as it begins in Acts is persecuted and the government is hostile towards, and yet that is when the church grew at its most fervent. People came to faith and they were willing to give up their lives for one another. And in our North American culture, for those of us who are from here, 
maybe what our concern is more is that we've grown up in, in what might be termed as a cultural Christian movement. So we think that we deserve things that, or we think we're entitled to things spiritually. I remember when prayer was taken out of school, and I think what churches should have done is they should have gone good. It was never the church's job to pray, or sorry, it was never the school's job to pray. It's the church's job to pray. And churches should have figured out, hey, how can we invest in our students so that prayer can happen regularly within homes so that they can influence the world, but we don't expect the world to do the influencing for us. Now again, on the flip side, if, if schools are willing to let us pray, praise the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. But it was never the school's job, it's the church's job. So as we consider this, as we look at internal and external I just want you to be really honest with your own self, with your family. Share what the needs are, what the hurts are, what the struggles are. And share with how God has called you. And maybe there's a new idea out there that we can reach the community in a way that they'll see this is Jesus. This is the God of the Bible. This is who we want to serve. Let's pray. God, again, thank you, first and foremost, that Jesus was obedient going to the cross, that he died on our behalf so that we might find salvation. But God, we know and we see in Scripture that salvation wasn't bought just so that we could live a comfortable life focused on ourselves, but that you saved us that we might go out and proclaim the gospel so that others would come to this family as well. God, as we wrestle in these next few weeks with how to balance a focus on loving one another, but also reaching out into a world of need, would you give us direction? Would you give us ideas of what you are doing in our community so that we can get involved and and we can be part of this great commission? But would we also focus on loving one another so that the world would see that? Help us to learn how to balance the internal and the external. Help us to not become apathetic in our spiritual life or to be consumed with the things of the world, but may we see that you have called all of us to one purpose and that together as we rally and unite under the gospel and the lordship of Christ, that we'll be able to accomplish what you have called us to. Because God, our heart's desire is first and foremost that you would receive glory and honor from us. But we also plead that many would come to faith. That our communities would radically transform as people come to know who Jesus is. God, would you renew a passion within us for you and for what you have called us to. God, thank you for those who are visiting today again. Thank you for their desire to take time out of a holiday to come and to be with the saints and to worship together. I pray even in their hearts that as they go home to their local church that they might renew a passion within their people that they influence. That not just Banff Park Church would be excited about the gospel, but that church all over the world would be excited about the gospel.
God, would you reveal to us very clearly what you are calling us to do? We want to honor you with how we live that others might come to the family of faith. So God, as we go from this place, would you remind us of these truths over this coming week? Would we be really honest in our evaluation and reflection of our own heart? And would we want to see a growth within us that we might follow after Jesus more intentionally than we ever have? God, go with us today. Thank you for all that you are doing. We love you. Amen.